All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoyas basketball podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and we have a special guest today making his second appearance on the pod, Rivals.com basketball analyst Corey Evans, and that is Corey Evans underscore 10 on Twitter. Corey, what's up, man? Not a whole lot, Bobby. How are you, man? Um, Like we just talked about. You know, we're just living in Groundhog Day. I actually set my alarm to that that Sunny uh, Share song, so that's appropriate. It is. It is appropriate. So, um, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we had you on in September. Um, a lot's changed for Georgetown since September, and I couldn't help but notice your Twitter Tuesday mailbag on Rivals, and you obviously it's on Twitter, always a good source of information. But this week particularly, you had mentioned how Georgetown and Purdue are both set up to succeed in the 2021 class. Um, can we just start talking a little bit about, about those players? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think every class is important. Um, it seems that with how much um, attention that Patrick Ewing and his staff have given to the 21 class already, um, okay. that, that just reflects, right, like how important that class really is going to be for Georgetown. So, so Georgetown for 2021, and that's assuming let, – let's just assume the seniors leave and – so right now they have five open scholarships. They have one open currently, which they may fill somehow with a JUCO or some late signee. They, you know, they signed TJ Berger last week. But let's just say they've got five scholarships to work with. You've got Georgetown in the article that that you put out. Um, they're, you know, we don't know who they're going to get, but they're being mentioned with some of the better players in the country. Just to kind of put it in perspective, so far. Um, Patrick Ewing's yet to land a five-star, but right now he's in the mix for one, two, three, four, five of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact they made the final list for a guy like Musa Cisse, uh, Jaden Hardy, um, Patrick Baldwin, um, they're involved for Frank Kepnick, Amina Muhammad, uh, you know, they're, they're, they will likely get a visit from Chet Holmgren, a seven-footer from Wisconsin or from Minnesota. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're chasing after the big fish for sure. Um, and I know, you know, coming in second in recruiting is just being the first loser. But they uh, they definitely have many many chances um, and some traction with these top-tier guys. And so you mentioned being, you know, obviously only one school gets a kid, although a lot of kids nowadays transfer. As Georgetown is aware, they just had a pretty big kid transfer or not a big player um, in stature-wise, but as far as importance on the team. Um, so you start out talking about Patrick Baldwin, and I know you you think it's kind of maybe a two-horse race between Duke and Milwaukee, where his, where his father is, but... Just how do you do you think it's important to just make the list the final list of a kid like Baldwin to give yourself the best chance and to show other recruits that you know Georgetown's a place where other other high profile kids are are looking at? 
listen, we're we're talking about them right now, right? Um, yeah. We're talking about Georgetown because they're on file list. So it, it can't hurt. You know, I know um, optics, it might not look great after you keep missing on, you know, prospect after prospect. But after a while, um, that notoriety and that publicity um, getting in the front door, it's going to win out at one point in time. So I don't think it could hurt um, in this instance. So if Georgetown fans just want to dream for a second, what kind of a player is Patrick Baldwin? You know, he does not like the comparison, but it's not that far off uh, Clay Thompson. I mean, he's six foot seven, six foot eight, um, true 3-4 type in today's game of basketball, elite shooter, high-level feel for the game. Uh, he's someone that could really walk into a high major uh, program tomorrow and be your go-to scorer. And um, two of the guys on this list, um, forgive me if I say it wrong, uh, Musa Cisse and another Mac, not Mac McClung, but Mac, uh, I'm not sure how you, how you say his last name. Etienne. So both of those are 2021 20, kids that are they're big men, they're centers. I think they, they both have the chance of reclassifying. That's correct. Um, I think Mac might hold on in 2021. Uh, the more likely of the two is Musa Cisse. Uh, I would actually be surprised if he does not um, reclassify. I think he's a heavy lean towards 2020. Um, need to get the proper academics in line, but he was actually helped by this coronavirus and um, the eligibility standards being lowered some. Um, has only visited one school so far officially. That was Florida State. Has gone to unofficially uh, Memphis and Kentucky this winter. But uh, the Hoyas are definitely, definitely involved there. And staying staying with the with the center theme, last time we spoke, I, I know we talked a lot about um, R.J. Davis, guys like that. I don't know if we touched on Ryan Matumbo. Ryan Matumbo, obviously, he's a legacy. Um, you know, he would he, he would be a legacy at Georgetown. Um, everyone knows who his dad is. Everyone knows Georgetown's reputation with big men. Are you surprised at where he's come in in the past year? And no doubt about that. Um, I mean, he has a name, so you had to keep an eye on him. Um, right. Time last year, he was probably a mid-major prospect um, in his recruitment and offer list uh, reflected as such. Now he's, you know, a top 85 guy in America who's trending upward. Um, still has some room for growth, of course, but um, his abilities from 15 feet and in, his development curve is is really, really, really impressive. And I, so during your Twitter Tuesday, I saw one of the guys had mentioned, you know, Patrick Ewing, like we talked about, needs to deliver on this recruiting class. What top prospect do you think he's going to have the best chance to land? And you kind of gave the answer I've been giving people in that if you had to ideally map out a road for Georgetown's 2021 success, it seems like it's always great, great to grab a highly ranked kid early and then, you know, you get one and then maybe you make yourself more appealing for others it does seem like the strategy would be to start with Ryan Matumbo. Yeah, you know, um, 
I'm not sure how accurate it is, but, you know, the reverberating theme out there is that as long as Patrick Ewing will be the head coach at Georgetown, um, Ryan Matumbo would be there as well. Um, you know, granted, I, I do believe that this is going to be um, Matumbo's decision alone. But yeah. like you just discussed, the connection, the bloodlines, um, it all says Georgetown. And with a need at the center position, um, you know, after not taking anyone really in the front court um, this past year, uh, I, I think it aligns. And just from a Patrick Ewing standpoint, obviously, Omir Yurt Seven, who was a pretty big recruit and had a good two years at NC State, you know, showed up at Georgetown because he felt that gave him the best chance to polish his game for the NBA. Um, do you think, you know, for the fans that are looking for a big time recruit to sign with Georgetown, do you think he's limited to the center position? Does that make the most sense or does that just not even matter? I think it matters somewhat is because his name's Patrick Ewing, right? Um, yeah. You're, you're going to have some success um, in that field. It's like, you know, you could be a former quarterback who's a turned head coach. I mean, they're they're going to gravitate um, and have a greater connection with quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, the 2021 class, that's where the great talent is, is in the front court at the center spot. So um, with who they're involved with, you know, Chet Holmgren, Ryan Matumbo, Frank Kepnig, uh, Mac Etienne, uh, Musa Cisse, uh, it does align, it does add up to that if Georgetown has that five-star success, that top 30 prospect success, it's going to come down low. So on this list of the 11 players that you mentioned in the question about what's Georgetown up to in 2021, five of them are centers. Are any of them possible power forward type players? I'm, I'm just trying to think because, you know, like like you mentioned, a lot of people do feel like Georgetown is a, is a favorite for Ryan Matumbo. Is there any other big man that it would make sense to pair him with if that's still something that, you know, all these kids that they are recruiting or are these kind of all just these centers are probably one center class guys? Yeah, I think that they can pair. I mean, they can be paired together. Um, he'll find a way to make it work. I think someone like Chet Holmgren is so versatile, so unique for being a seven footer. I mean, if, Wait till America get to see Chet Holmgren. I mean, he's yeah, probably the most unique prospect I've evaluated since Zion Williamson. Um, just with the physical tangibles and dimensions, um, he's someone that can play in multiple big man lineups. So I think the last time we spoke, uh, it had been about a month or two after Terrence Williams had committed to Georgetown. He's no longer going to Georgetown. He's going to Michigan. And I think we talked a little bit about how important local recruiting would be for Georgetown. So when I get to when I get to Benny Williams and I see his top four, or I'm sorry, his final four, Georgetown, Maryland, Syracuse, Miami, when you go away from the centers and you get down to the other players, how important do you think it is for Georgetown to try and get more local recruits? Uh, it's 
super super valuable it might be uh that that might define how far um georgetown basketball goes within the sport the next four or five years and you know the 21 class isn't great um but within the region um the dmv it's super super talented uh as usual right i mean you yeah. have a guy like angelo brizzy you know and um Trevor Keels, um, Jordan Hawkins, um, you know, Amina Muhammad, I know he's out, out in Missouri right now, but he's from um, or grew up somewhat in the DMV. Um, even guys like Gabe Dorsey that played for the Team Durant travel program. The list goes on. Um, Ike Gordon, right. Benny Williams, right? So if you can just grab every year two of those guys, I mean, you don't have to go far. Um, that's That's – the value of being a Georgetown, being a Maryland, you have the name recognition and you're located in such a talent-laden area. If you can just get one or two of those guys and then go somewhere else um, and get a guy like Jamari Sibley, um, I think it's every year you're talking about top 25 recruiting class. I couldn't agree more. Now, you just, you just mentioned Jamari Sibley. So the class coming in this year, Georgetown now, well, they have five. We don't know. They might end up with six freshmen. But currently they have five. The two of those guys are top, our rivals, top 150 guys. Jamari Sibley is a forward, and Tyler Beard is a point guard. Um, you guys at Rivals have Georgetown's class rank being 32 right now, and that puts them fifth in the Big East. What can you kind of say about the class that is already committed to Georgetown. Yeah, it's, it's practically uh, or close to a 180 from what the previous class was, right? It was a three centers. All, yeah, three centers against a big man, you know, a guy like Myron Gardner, right? So now you have um, Jamari Sibley as a, you know, a wing forward type and um, same with Kobe Clark. And then these guards with TJ Berger and Dante Harris and Tyler Beard. Um, in all, what you have is toughness. That's definitely the word to best define um, this group. Um, Tyler Beard is a, a pit bull. Dante Harris is quick downhill guard. Toby Clark is an explosive wing forward, and Sibley is a very skilled giant, six foot eight, small forward prospect. And TJ Berger brings um, some ball skills and shot making. Um, I think in all. You know, it's not the most talented group, but it does check a lot of the boxes. Well, I think, you know, obviously everybody wants to hear how talented a group is. I know that these kids are talented, but I think what you just said and some of the descriptions you had, um, you know, pit bull toughness, you know, for his, for the way Patrick Ewing and his Georgetown Hoyas competed in the 80s and their style of play, the defense hasn't been there yet. And, I think what you kind of just described is going to be is going to be something that that Georgetown fans definitely want to hear. So obviously you do these, you know, you, you're always taking Twitter questions. You know, people are always interested in recruiting because no matter if you're Kentucky or if you're a school like Georgetown that's looking to try and get back to the tournament, you can always look forward to recruiting. What do you say to fans and just the the impatient fans that look and say, okay, well, you know, Patrick Ewing's been there. This is going to be his fourth season. 
He's only brought in three top 100 kids. You know, obviously there's a certain amount of schools that are kind of always getting the five stars. What do you kind of say, or what's the way to try and get those types of fans to say, look, you know, it takes time. Um, you're not, every class isn't going to have four or five stars. There's only a couple schools that can, that can do that. How do you sort of deal with those kind of questions? Yeah, I think what you're dealing with too for the Georgetown name is this is not the 1980s, you know, or or even um, the the Jeff. I mean, think about it, Jeff Green and Roy Hibbert and those guys. They weren't five star prospects either. So right, it, it needs to be important that if they're bringing in these Sibleys and these Kobe Clarks, that they're more of the under the radar late bloomers type that are going to develop well within the sport. Um, times have changed. You know, it's, now it's about one and done and two and done. And if it's not two and done, it's, you're, you're going to transfer. But, um, you know, Big East, man, it's it's tough to ascend. Um, I think that with what Villanova has going on right now, and they've just cemented their standing as the best in that league, um, you know, moving up, another level or two um, in that pecking order. Yeah, it's going to take, you know, maybe one or two top flight prospects, but if they can hit on these guys, like a Sibley, um, you know, like a Tyler Beard, uh, I think uh, Wahab is going to be a a really, really solid um, four-year contributor um, at Georgetown. Guys along that mold, um, as long as they hit on those those kind of prospects, um, those kind of recruits, um, I wouldn't really worry about, you know, the ranking or this and that. It's more about where they fit, how they fit, um, and how quickly they can impact the program. Do you think it's fair to say that even though Patrick Ewing was obviously he was an NBA assistant coach from the minute he retired – that now going into year four, do you think, have you, you know, and, and you see this with other coaches too, probably coaches that have been assistants in college, but do you think it takes a couple cycles to just kind of figure out the kind of kids that you want to recruit? And, you know, even more importantly, maybe the kind of kids that get along together? Yeah, this is not the NBA. I mean, it's, it's difficult for, Mid coaches, mid major coaches going to the high major level. Um, yeah. Now we're talking about someone that is, I know it's still basketball, but it's an entirely different realm. I mean, it, it kind of is like apples and oranges, the NBA and college basketball with the differences. And we're talking about 17, 18, 19 year old um, young men compared to 30, 35 year olders. Um, so it's, I think you're right. I think you need some time to kind of get uh, your bearings straight. And it wasn't like he was overtaking a program that was, um, you know, oozing with success the past three, four years. There's a reason why he received the job in the first part. Um, And then you're walking into a brand new league that's the Big East um, and the success that Villanova's had. um, It hasn't been easy. I know that. Um, And the cupboard really wasn't full with, talent to build with immediately at least um so yeah i think patience is definitely a must um the transfers have definitely not helped um in building that foundation but you have to hope that for georgetown fans sake you know wahab is a 
is a keystone figure in their ascent. And this this 2020 class is a good enough group that could be the reason why you know Georgetown makes a push um, with the right step forward. Getting back real quick um, to a player that I have not had a chance to see other than highlights, uh, TJ Berger, who they just got kind of right when I think that they knew McClung was going to transfer. He's kind of a little bit of a late bloomer. He was going to go to Penn, decided, you know, he's obviously the Ivy League is a good conference. It's not the Big East. Uh, um, What, if anything, do you sort of know about him and sort of the idea of recruiting a player from a school that you might want to continue relationships with all things being equal. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, making that decommitment and committing quickly. Um, TJ and all though, um, I think he's a very skilled giant six foot four guard. They can play multiple spots in the backcourt, uh, high IQ, high feel for the game. Um, you know, and more importantly, not more importantly, but as a side note, his dad is the head coach at West Town, um, right. which, you know, been the, you know, alma mater for, you know, Cam Reddish and Mo Baba and Brandon Randolph and um, the guy we talked about recently, Frank Kepney. Um, yeah. You have to think that might help. Um, <laughs> right. I'm not saying it's a package deal of any sorts. Um, but it definitely can't hurt. And as a big man, you want to go somewhere where you have a chemistry built in already with a with a guard. That'd be ideal um, because they want the ball, and TJ can get the ball to uh, to Frank. So does that help? I'm sure it can't hurt. So um, here, right. if he's even your last guy in scholarship, uh, it's definitely a, a good feather to have in your hat. So. Okay, so I'm in Northern Virginia, just outside D.C. You're in Pittsburgh. Now just going into more general questions, how how different, crazy, just unusual is this summer going to be for recruiting? I mean, do, do we even have an idea of what it might look like? It's already, it's already crazy, honestly. Um, yeah. We're, we're, we're approaching – Memorial Day weekend, and that would have been the spot for the third Nike EYBL session that would have wrapped up regular season play before the Nike Peach Jam in July. We were already without the two spring eval periods that happened in April. What's happening is, is that the 2021 class, already not a great class as it was, and we have a lot of prospects that are rushing to call decisions because maybe they're afraid that those scholarship offers won't be there, whatever it might be. Um, and in doing so, in the past, we've been on the road evaluating and our boards, our rankings have been expanding, college recruiting boards have been expanding. There's no way for those boards to expand now. So you're having an already group of prospects that was somewhat condensed only getting smaller and smaller. And if there is no summer, which it seems that there might not be, at least from an evaluation perspective for college coaches, 
it, it could be dire um, come August, September, when it comes to high major prospects that um, are still relatively open with their uh, the recruiting process. You know, now it sounds like there might be some travel events um, down south in Texas, I've heard, in Florida and Georgia um, in the coming months in the more progressive states. But this really has hampered the so-called quote-unquote breakouts of prospects. Um, oh. All that to lean on is past film and video. And that might be great dating back to the winter, but as we know, man, a prospect, he can, he can hit a different gear within a matter of three, four months. And right now we don't know what gear they're in. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you compared, you know, a list from, you know, two years ago, what it was like today, or even, even, even like in April and then compared it what it's like in August. I mean, there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking, right? Yeah. Even someone like a Sadiq Bay, right? Like we don't, Sadiq Bay. I mean, that that was someone that said, well, friends, he wasn't really the guy, quote unquote. Uh, and then it, 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 it didn't take until the Under Armour circuit role of his senior year to really break out. And now we're talking about a guy that's two and done in a first round draft pick. Um, that's just one example. And there there has to be many of those guys out there right now in Sadiq Bay's mold that no one knows about um, or does know about. and might be going to mid-major place. So if if there is a John Morant scenario in two years in which a mid-major school has a lottery pick, it's going to be because of this summer. Yeah, I think it would just increase, just increase the likelihood. Corey, we almost made it an entire podcast without some sort of a, a negative. You mentioned Sidwell Friends. For Georgetown Hoya fans out there, the fact that Josh Hart made it out of Sidwell Friends and then Sadiq Bay made it out of Sidwell Friends. Is there anyone at Sidwell Friends right now that Georgetown should be recruiting? <laughs> Not that I know, but it'd be smart <laughs> to keep involved in the program for sure. <laughs> um, and then as far as, you know, you've got kids now, like for instance, TJ Berger, I don't believe had been on a visit to Georgetown. You're having kids commit to schools just off of virtual visits. Have you sort of heard of any, you know, which schools are kind of doing a better job with that? Um, and just in the different things schools can accomplish on Zoom where they're trying to woo a prospect. Yeah, I'm not sure if anyone's having more success than others, but um, okay. it is a new day. You know, it's a new age. I think a lot of schools are starting to realize that they can really implement um, these standards back into everyday life once, some sort of normalcy does return. Um, you know, I think name recognition still goes far. Um, you know, these virtual visits have gone somewhat successfully. Um, and like I said, it's, I mean, this time last year, we had 12 top 150 prospects that were in the rising senior class commit. And this year, there's about 40. So um, it, it definitely is working. Um, that does coincide with the scare factor that is also successful from the college front. Um, but that's the new day. I mean, that's what, what schools can do now. They can't do official visits or unofficial visits or going to someone's um, house for an in-home visit. 
Um, it's more of Zoom calls and virtual in-home or virtual visits online. It's crazy. It's crazy, but I was really excited. I know that Georgetown fans are really excited that you decided to spend a lot of time on the Hoyas in this week's Twitter Tuesday. Um, as always, you everyone can follow Corey at Corey Evans underscore 10. And the next time any kid commits to Georgetown, if anyone from this list or anything happens, Corey is going to be the first person that gets an email from me. Corey, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me on here. All right, thanks.